Travis, are you able to move this morning? No. Our ministry outside the walls um, built a brick patio and did some other things yesterday. I saw some pictures on Facebook, and Travis, you look beat. You look beat. Thank you. Thank you for what y'all do. You did it too? Were you carrying the bricks? You carry. A friend helped you carry the bricks? Good. Those were big bricks. Let me ask you a question. If you knew today what is going to happen tomorrow, what would you do? If you knew today what is going to happen next week, next year, what would you do? Would it change the way you live? Would it cause you to rearrange your priorities? Now, I've got news for you. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow, much less next week or next year. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, no man knows the future. Who can tell what is to come? That's why things like crystal balls and psychic hotlines and, and horoscopes are a waste of time and money, not to mention they are demonic. That's why we need to be leery even when Christians tell us what's going to happen in the future. Because the Bible says that no one knows what is going to happen in the future. So write this down. You and I may not be able to predict the future, but what we can do is prepare for the future, and we can be protected when we enter into the future. You see, even though you and I don't have the ability to predict the future, to know what is going to happen, we can be prepared and ready when it does happen, and we can be protected when it happens. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This morning, we're going to focus on a passage of Scripture that I believe talks to us about the future and tells us how we need to live as we prepare for the future. Because even though you and I can't know what's going to happen, we can observe the signs. We can observe the seasons. There are some things that the Bible tells us will take place as we get closer and closer to the time when Jesus comes back. So he tells us three things in this passage, Paul does, that we need to do to prepare ourselves so that we can live victoriously as we get closer and closer to the end times. The first thing that Paul tells us we need to do is we need to recognize the signs of the times because I am afraid that there are many people who are going to be unprepared when the end comes. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 3, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now that word last literally means end, it means final. What Paul is saying is that when the final days of planet earth comes, when the end days come before the earth as we know it disappears, there will be dangerous times. There will be difficult times. There will be dark times. And so let me ask you a question. Do you believe that we are living in those final days? Do you believe that we are living in those end times? I am convinced that if you ask a hundred Christians who, who read and study the Bible that question, 75 of them will say, yes, 
We are living in the last days. We are living in the end times. We have come to that time that is going to take place before Jesus returns. Mark it down. Write it in a book. The Bible says when these last days come, it will be difficult, dangerous times. Morally, spiritually, the last days will be more difficult than any other days that we have lived in. It will be more and more difficult. It will be more and more dangerous to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There are some today who who believe that that society is evolving, that society is getting more civilized, that society is getting better. But the Bible says the opposite is true. You see, society is not getting better. Society is not evolving. The Bible says that society, mankind, is becoming more barbaric today. More than at any other time in history, we are seeing wickedness and evil prevailing in our land. Wickedness is not only being accepted, it's not only being embraced, wickedness is being flaunted. Our very moral and spiritual foundations as a people are being shaken. I want you to listen to how Paul describes the way people will live in the last days. He said people will be lovers of themselves and they will love their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless and puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds. And a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are. Just as with Janus and Jambres. Now as we read this passage of how Paul describes how mankind will live in these last days. There are four words I believe can describe how we will live. First of all we will become more and more humanistic. Then we will become more and more materialistic. We will become more and more hedonistic. And we will become more and more ritualistic. First of all, we will become more and more humanistic. Now you may ask, what does that mean? Well, humanist or humanistic people are self-centered rather than God-centered. A humanist believes that the world is focused and centered on man rather than focused and centered on God. Paul uses several words to describe this humanistic society. He says they will love only themselves. They will be boastful and proud and ungrateful, puffed up with pride. He first of all says they will be lovers of themselves. This is the basic sin 
from which all other sins flow. We are focused on ourselves. It's all about us. It's all about me and mine. It's the me first philosophy. What's in it for me? And the truth of the matter is this idea has permeated every fabric of our society. We have removed God off the throne and we have placed ourselves on the throne. And then Paul says that man will be boastful and proud and and puffed up with pride. The boast is the outward expression. The pride is the internal emotion. And to be puffed up with pride is to be conceited, is to be full of yourself, to 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 have an inflated opinion of yourself. Have we ever lived in a day and age where we have had a more inflated opinion of ourselves than we do today. And then Paul says that we will be ungrateful. Our pride causes us to have a mentality that believes that we deserve everything that we have and more. I mean, let's be honest. No longer are people grateful for what they have. You don't hear people say thank you anymore for what they receive and we've taken that attitude of ungratefulness and we've even applied it to God. We think that everything we have, everything that we own, we have earned, we have deserved, we have worked for with our own hands. We don't see it as a gift from God. We look at our family, we look at our health, we look at our job, we look at our home, we look at our food, we look at our friends, our freedom, and we say, I've worked hard to make this kind of life for myself. And we don't realize that at any moment, any time, God can take these things away from us. We are ungrateful. And I want you to know that our schools are teaching our children this me-first philosophy. Our schools are, are trying to teach our children about self-esteem. We believe that we, we need to build our kids' self-esteem. I want you to listen to me today. The problem with our kids today is not a lack of self-esteem for the most part. The problem with our kids today is too much self-worth. We are too full of ourselves. We think that we are at the center of the universe And what Paul says is in the last days, man will become more and more humanistic. It will be all about us and my and mine. And then Paul says in the last days, mankind will become more materialistic. They will love their money. He says people will love their money. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. He says, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. In other words, if our needs are met, We need to come to the point that we're content, that our needs are met. And then he says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation, are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And listen, there's nothing wrong with with having things. There's nothing wrong with money. The problem comes when those things have you. The problem comes when money begins to control you. The Bible never says that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
understand, God can place money and resources in your hands so that you can use those things for his glory and his honor and to build his kingdom. God can bless you with things so that you can enjoy things. But when the desire for things and the desire for money begins to control your life, it becomes a sin. And I believe that there has never been a time in human history when mankind has desired and craved things and money more than we do today. I personally believe that each and every one of us need to ask ourselves the question, what do I need to exist comfortably? Comfortably, We need to ask ourselves that question. We need to write it down. We need to figure it out. And when we get to that point where we are living comfortably with what we have, it doesn't mean that we never have anything else. But what it does mean is as we get things above and beyond that living comfortably, we ask God, what do you want us to do with these things? Are you giving me these things so that I can bless someone else? Are you giving me these things so that I can support a missionary, so that I can reach an unreached people group? Why are you putting these things in my, my hands, in my possession? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in the last days, people will love their money. It's easy. It's so easy to fall into that trap. And then Paul says in the last days, mankind will become more and more hedonistic. Now, a hedonistic person is a pleasure-seeking person, a person that is guided by their lower nature. Notice the words that Paul uses to describe the people in this last day. He said there will be scoffers of God, disobedient to parents. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, and love pleasure. Now that phrase, scoffers of God, is the word blasphemer. And it usually is used to describe blaspheming or speaking evil of God. And that is more prevalent today than I have ever seen it. My goodness. I mean, just a week and a half, two weeks ago, we had people burning Bibles in the street. I mean, over the last month, no longer have we had statues being torn down of people from, from our past in history. We've had statues torn down in front of Catholic churches. People are blaspheming God today. When I was growing up, when I was a kid, I mean, there were people doing evil things. There were people doing immoral things. But I want you to know, back in that day, it seemed like even people that, that didn't know God had a respect for God. There was a certain amount of fear toward God. There was a respect for God and the things of God. But we have lost that today. In our society today, we tolerate anything and everything, anyone and everyone, but a Christian who believes the Bible. A Christian who says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. A Christian who says that the Bible is the only source of truth. When someone says that, they put a target on themselves today. We are scoffers of God. He says we're disobedient to parents. And respect for parents and authority is at an all-time low. My word, 
If any of you are teachers, thank you. And God bless you. Because I don't know how teachers do it today with the lack of respect that they have in the classroom oftentimes. And the crazy thing is they're learning it from their parents. It's ridiculous today. And this disobedience and disrespect for parents is starting at a very early age. And it's taught, hear me, it's taught even on our TVs, our, the, the shows that our children watch, our preschoolers watch, our, our children watch, or cartoons that they watch. To look, at, look at adults as, as being stupid and, and ignorant and, and, and fools. And if you don't believe me, just turn on Nickelodeon and the Cartoon Network and, and even the Disney Channel and watch some of the shows that our preschoolers watch and tell me that our preschoolers aren't learning disrespect sitting at home watching cartoons. And then it says they will consider nothing sacred. They will hate what is good. That first phrase means wicked. Nothing sacred literally means wicked. And then the second is pretty easy to understand. What Paul is saying here is society will embrace wickedness and hate righteousness. We will call evil good and we will call good evil. I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought that we would live in a society, in a country that has legalized same-sex marriage? We've not just said that that people have the right to practice any evil practice that they want to practice. We have said that this is valid, that marriage is between a, a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Who would have thought that? And who would have thought that we would be living in a society that has embraced gender fluidity, that has said there is no such thing as gender? That you can decide your gender after you're born. If you're a male and you don't want to be a male, you're not a male. You're a female. You can be whatever you want to be. That's stupid. That's foolish. That's ignorant. And the Bible says that that's the way people are going to live in these last days. And then he says they will be unloving. The word there is the word to describe family love. What he is saying there is the love that you naturally have for family, you will no longer have. Uh, children will, will turn on their parents, and parents will turn on their children. And that doesn't even begin to touch the thousands of babies that are aborted in America each and every year. And we justify it by saying it's not a baby, it's a fetus. No, it's a baby. And that baby is fearfully and wonderfully made. That baby was formed by God in its mother's womb. And you think that God is going to turn a blind eye to that sin? And we justify it by calling it freedom of choice. No, listen to me. Getting in a bed and having sex is a choice. Having a baby is a responsibility. But we will be unloving in that day. He says we'll be slanderous. The Greek word there is diablos. It's the word for devil. Because the devil is the slanderer, the accuser of, of the brethren, the, the, the people of God. And, and the Bible says that Satan is, is before the throne of God accusing and slandering God's people day and night. But here 
It's referring to people who slander one another. Has it ever been as bad as it is today? I mean, you turn on any news channel and you hear the Republicans talking ill about the Democrats and the Democrats talking ill about the Republicans. And understand, they are different as night and day and and there are, are differences of a policy that are big, major differences. There always have been. But I gotta tell you, in my lifetime, I have never seen the hatefulness and the rhetoric that is being used today among politicians. My wife, I mean, we turn on the news at night, we're watching the news, and my wife gets so worked up that I have to turn the TV off. She says, don't turn that off, I'm watching it. I say, well, stop it, chill out, take a tranquilizer, do something. I mean, she gets so worked up because of all of this vitriol that's going on between people, slanderous, without self-control. That speaks for itself. Cruel, that word means savage, beast-like. Our streets have become war zones. Some of the major streets in America today are dangerous to live on. Dangerous. You're putting your life in your own hands to go outside. Domestic violence is at an all-time high. A woman is raped in America every two minutes. We are a cruel people. And then he says, to kind of just top it off, we're lovers of pleasure. That sums it up. The Bible says that there's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. In the last days, people will embrace and love and cling to the pleasure of sin. But understand, the pleasure of sin is for a season. It may be the season is over when it breaks up your family. It may be the season is over when you get a disease. It may be the season is over when you're thrown in jail. It may be the season is over when you lose your job. It may be that the season isn't over until you die and you stand before the judgment seat of God. But understand, the pleasure that sin brings will end. It has a season. And one day the season of pleasure that sin brings will end. So Paul says in the last days, uh, mankind will be humanistic. Focused on themselves, men will be materialistic, love money and things. Men will be hedonistic, love pleasure. And then he says mankind will be ritualistic. They will act religious, but they will deny the power that can make them godly. One translation says they will have a form of godliness, but they won't know its real power. And I got to tell you, look at me. That's where we live today. That's where we are. I am afraid that many and perhaps most of the people that are connected to Christian churches today are going to be surprised when the judgment comes. Because we have a form of godliness, but we've never experienced the power that can change and transform our lives. You see, the Bible makes it clear that when Jesus comes into our life, when we are saved, we are born again, we're transformed, we are made new. 
all things change. And I'm afraid there are many today who believe that because they prayed some prayer, they've been dunked in a pool of water. They come to church. They may read through the Bible. They may do other things that they've got a place in heaven with God. But I'm here to tell you that unless you've been transformed from the inside out, unless you've been born again, unless your life has been changed by the Spirit of God coming to take up residence in you, you're not going to be in heaven. The Bible makes it clear that to know God is to be transformed by God. You see, many people have a form of godliness. We're religious but we've never experienced the power of God in our lives. It bothers me. We have a church today that is filled with people who have never been broken over their sin. And I don't care whether you come to faith when you're 9 or 19 or 99 part of being saved is being broken by your sin. I was nine years old when I came to faith in Christ. I had never committed sexual sin. Couldn't. I was nine years old. I mean, I'd never robbed a bank. I'd never done anything terrible. But I on a Sunday morning, came under conviction that I was lost and I was headed to hell and I was going to stand before a holy God. And that Sunday, Jesus changed my life. The power of God came to live in me. Let me ask you a question. Are you religious or have you experienced a life-changing relationship with God. Paul says, recognize the sign of the times. As we approach the last days, mankind is going to become more and more self-centered. Mankind is going to become more and more focused on things and money. Mankind is going to become more and more pleasure-seeking. Mankind is going to become more and more religious without ever experiencing the power of God in their lives. Oh, listen, if you've been changed by the blood of Jesus, you need to be praying. You need to be praying that the Spirit of God will fall on people bringing conviction to their lives. Because you and I can't convince anybody come faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit of God has to break a person for them to come to faith in Christ. So recognize the sign of the times. The second thing Paul tells us is that we need to realize the characteristics of a true disciple. Listen to what Paul says in verses 10 through 12. He said, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach, how I live, what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, everyone 
who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What Paul does here is he say, he's saying, I've shown you how people are going to live in the end times in the world. Now I want to show you how people who are guided by the word are supposed to live in the end times. And notice what he says here. He says, first of all, a true disciple is known by what they believe. Paul said, you know what I teach. Paul here isn't talking about who he believes in. He's talking about what he believes. And what he believes and what he teaches is the word of God. He stands on the word of God as truth in his life. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. There are some today that tell us that truth is relative, that what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me, that truth changes from generation to generation. Listen, truth doesn't change. Truth is timeless. Truth is eternal because truth comes from the mind and the mouth of God. God's Word is truth. Back when I was a little kid going to VBS, we were taught a a song, oh, the B-I-B-L-E, oh, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Well, listen, that's a song that I learned as a kid, but it's something that each and every one of us need to do today, amen? We need to stand on the Word of God as the truth in our life. Next, Paul says, you know how I live. You see, a true disciple lives different than the world. A true disciple is someone who has been changed and transformed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus told us, Paul told us to come out from the world and be separate from the world. The gospel changes us. And Paul said, you need to live in such a way that when people look at you, they know that you are different than they are. But Paul not only says that we are to live differently in regard to our morals and and our values, he says that we are to live different in regard to our faith and our love. Now, this isn't a saving faith that Paul's talking about here. This is walking in faith. You see, some of us say that we have placed our faith in Jesus, but we're not trusting Jesus with our life right now. We say that we've trusted him for eternity, for salvation, And yet, we don't trust him when it comes to our finances. We don't trust him when it comes to COVID-19. We live in fear. We've got to get to the point where we walk by faith, not by sight. And then Paul talked about love. And the kind of love that Paul had was not just a love for his family, not just a love for his friends, not just a love for those who loved him in return. No, Paul loved his enemies That's a supernatural love, isn't it? I mean, it's easy for me to to love my my family. It's easy for me to love people when, you know, who write me these positive, encouraging notes and tell me how good I am. I mean, it's tough to uh, love those people who write you those anonymous notes, right? It's tough to to love those people who who are mean to you. Goodness gracious, we all struggle with this. Thirsty. 
My wife and I were celebrating our anniversary in, in Savannah. We stopped there on the way back from taking my mom to Tampa. We spent the night at a bed and breakfast. We were doing our power walk, and we were walking along the river on Thursday morning. We were just huffing and puffing and going and blowing. And, and there was this man standing there with this scowl on his face. He didn't have a mask on or anything. He was standing with a scowl on his face. And we passed him, and the guy said, Six feet! And I went, I went, we're married. And he said, well, you're not married to me. I got to tell you, I blew a gasket. <laughs> I'm confessing it to you right now. I blew a gasket. I mean, I lost it. I, I got ticked. But that's the kind of person we're supposed to love. I mean, we're supposed to love the jerk. Person that acts crazy and stupid and, and silly we're supposed to love them. And that's what Paul said. He said, you know the way I live. You know my faith, how I walk by faith. You know my love. You know the love that I have toward people who have treated me wrong, have thrown me in prison, have beaten me and mocked me. Paul said we're to live differently. And then he said, a true disciple is known by what they endure. Paul said, you know my purpose. You know why I live. And why did Paul live? He lived to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Paul said, my life is worth nothing unless I fulfill the task that was given to me by God, the task of sharing the good news with the world. That's why Paul lived. And then we are known by, by what we endure, what we face. Every believer is going to go through persecution in life. That's what Paul said, the godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you come out from the world and you begin to live different than the world, the way you live is diametrically opposed to the way the world lives. The world is not only going to take notice, the world is going to begin to mock you. The world is going to begin to stand in opposition to you. They did stand against Jesus. They did stand against the early disciples. And we've seen this throughout history. And listen, as the coming of Jesus gets closer and closer and closer, the persecution that we face intensifies. And so that's why it is so important for us to become more and more like Jesus. So what are the characteristics of a true disciple? A true disciple is known by what they believe. They stand on the word of God. A true disciple is known by how they live. They've come out from the world and they're living different from the world. But not only that, they walk by faith and they live by love. A true disciple is known by they, what they want, their mission, their purpose in life. And a true disciple is known by how they endure the struggles, the problems, the persecutions of life. But there's a third thing Paul gives in this passage and that is he tells us to rely on God's word. Listen to what he says as we close this out. He says, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. To make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Paul tells us that the Bible is inspired by God. That, that word inspired by God is one Greek word, which means literally the breath, the mouth of God. Scripture, the Bible, comes from the very mouth of God. That means it can be trusted. 
And Paul tells us in this passage there are two things that the Word of God does that you and I need to notice, we, you and I need to take heed on. First of all, he says the Bible points us to Jesus, who is the only one who can save. Paul said, Timothy, from, a early, from your early childhood, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures which can make you wise for salvation. Now, Timothy was fortunate. He had a mother and a grandmother that loved Jesus, that brought him up, um, involved in the church, the body of Christ. And at an early age, Timothy understood the word and gave his life to Jesus. You see, the Bible is what makes us wise unto salvation. That's why it is so important, listen to me, parents and grandparents, because some of you grandparents need to step up and take responsibility as well. That's why it's so important for us to, to bring our kids, not drop them off, to bring our kids to church so that they can learn the truth of God's Word and become wise for salvation. Many of us today, many of us are more concerned about our kids becoming wise in the things of this world than we are about them becoming wise in the things of God. Listen. Reading, writing, and arithmetic, history, science, all of those things are important. But I want you to know that I can flunk out on all of those things. And if I have the wisdom that makes me saved, my eternity is secure and I'm going to be okay. And that's not downplaying education. That's not downplaying all the extracurricular activities that are out there. That's just telling you parents and grandparents, the most important thing that you can do for your kids is teach them the Word of God, both in church and at home. And if you forsake that responsibility, you have forsaken the most important responsibility that has been given to you. And that's not to make you feel guilty. That's just to say, wherever you are in your journey, it's time to man up. It's time to woman up and start doing what we're called to do. But then second, Paul tells us that the Bible prepares, prepares us for whatever we may face. Notice that last phrase. He said, God uses it, God's Word, to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. In other words, God's Word prepares us for whatever we face in life. If you want to know how to be a, a good husband or a good wife, the Bible will show you. If you want to know how to raise your kids, the Bible will show you. If you want to know how to be a good employee, the Bible will show you. If you have the opportunity to, to own your own business and be an employer, the Bible will show you how to be a good employer. If you want to know how to manage your money, the Bible can teach you how to do that. Whatever it is that you need to learn in life, if you begin to pour yourself into the Word of God and learn how to rightly divide the Word that is truth, you will learn how to do the most important things in life. But to do that, you're going to have to systematically get into the Word. So what does Paul tell us? He tells us that in the last days, People are going to become more and more wicked, morally, spiritually, socially, relationally. The world is going to begin to fall apart. We're going to call right wrong and wrong right. And i got to tell you, it seems like to me we're living in that world. 
And so then Paul tells us how we as followers of Jesus are to live. First of all, we're to stand on the Word of God. Second of all, we're to live different, distinct from the world. We're to be holy. We're to be loving. And and, um, we are to um, walk by faith. Then he tells us what our purpose is to be, our mission in life. And our mission is to know Jesus and to make him known. And then he tells us as we face persecutions, and we will, that we're to endure those persecutions patiently. And that's tough. The only way we can do that is that we're filled with Jesus and not ourselves. And finally, he tells us that when it gets real tough, the only way we're going to make it is to rely on the Word of God. Let God's Word guide and direct everything we do. Now, what about you? If Jesus comes tomorrow, are you ready? Because he could. I personally believe everything's in place that needs to be in place for him to come back. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Or is there something inside of you right now that's telling you you're not? Are you maybe religious? Do you maybe have a form of godliness, but you've never experienced the power of God changing you and making you brand new? If that's where you're at, and you've never given your life to Jesus, but God's Spirit is revealing that to you right now, then I beg you, I plead with you, don't leave here today. Don't turn off your computer without giving your life to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Bow your head. Your head bow with your eyes closed. If that's what you need to do today, you need to humble yourself before God, acknowledge where you're at, and give your life to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you today asking you to forgive me. I've been faking it. I've been living my way, claiming to know you. I'm sorry. I'm tired of living this way. Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I know that you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. But today, I'm placing my trust in you. Today, I'm giving my life to you. Today, I'm surrendering my all to you. Come into my life. Take control. Make me brand new, a new person. Change me. From the inside out, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the desire and give me the power to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, 
for hearing my prayer. Amen.